about the fact that it seemed like our country was so divided. It didn't seem like we had unity. Hey, Chris, how are you? Good. It seemed like we weren't on one accord. And I thought to myself, God, what are we missing? What is going on in our country that we don't have unity? And I thought to myself, we forgot our foundational principles as a country. It used to be a day and age where we said, one nation under God. One nation under God. And now look at where we are. We have places that are godless, that nobody names the name of Jesus Christ anymore. What a privilege it is to be able to come to a Christian college. But I said, if as a country we can falter because we no longer talk about being one nation under God, then how much more can a college falter when we forget our principles, what we as a college was founded on? It's a privilege to be able to go to college. It's a blessing to be able to go to a Christian college. So as I introduce our speaker for this chapel, I felt it was important. The SEO office talked about this all summer. We've made some updates to our community covenant. And we feel like it's important for the community to not only see those updates, see those changes, but agree to those changes together. We felt like it was important for us all to read our community covenant together. So as you hear the speaker on today, please keep in mind that it's a privilege to be here. It's a blessing to be here. And the only way we really truly survive as a college is if we don't forget the foundational principle we were established on, which is Jesus Christ. So give a hand to Dr. Eric Severson. quite an introduction to Mika. <laughs> Definitely can't follow that up. And I'm, I wander, but I don't walk, you know, so I'll just... Um, the idea of covenant. Uh, Vern asked me to talk a little bit about the idea of covenant. And I think it does play a critical role in naming the way that we live among each other and together. When I, when I think about covenant, my mind instantly races back into the recesses of my history. And perhaps you remember the day, um, you know, a few decades ago, when, uh, when we didn't have as much panic about uh, diseases transmitted by blood, and occasionally friends would mark their friendship by you know, pricking their finger. We called it blood brothers. Did they do that for women too, with blood sisters? Yeah. I know you don't even know what this is anymore because we're so panicked about blood and, and stuff these days. So. And don't get squeamish on me. You watch those Twilight movies and stuff with the blood. So don't, don't give me that judgmental look. I talk about blood, right? I, I'm not taking that. So the, uh, the, the, the idea of blood brothers actually reaches way, way, way back into ancient history, pre-written history, 
when people would mark serious covenants that they had with one another. Agreements, sometimes they were financial agreements, agreements to exchange cattle and women and property the way they did back a long, long time ago. They would do so by cutting open their arms and then mingling their blood together, sometimes even drinking it. I won't say any more about that. And they would make, in this way, they, by exchanging blood, they would be exchanging parts of themselves, right? There's, this is part of what's happening in the notion of the blood, the cup, the wine in Eucharist, right? This is taking of the life of Jesus into our bodies. And this taps into a tradition that, uh, that, that we don't think about or talk about often enough, covenant-making and covenant-breaking and what, what it takes to make a covenant. So even before we have the establishment of some of the Hebrew covenants, like the one with Adam and Noah and Abraham, we have a, a sort of a global understanding of covenant that happens, especially across the ancient Near East, that involves this kind of blood exchange and pain that comes with that. When I was a kid, I was uh, about to become uh, blood brothers with my friend Tony. We thought that, that'd be kind of cool. Let's, let's be blood brothers. And then we both got out the tack to like poke our finger, and we chickened out. Then I was playing in a tree, and I, you know, we were you know, kind of climbing trees together like 10-year-old boys do, and I cut my finger open in this tree. So I hopped down out of the tree and said, Hey, Tony, I'm ready to go. And he looked at me skeptically uh, and said, Well, I guess if he poked his finger open. So he picked up a stick, and he started jabbing at his finger. And, after three or four tries, he didn't break the skin. He's like, forget this. I don't need it. And so he walked away. So I don't have any blood brothers. And, uh, and I'm not looking for blood brothers, so I'm eager to be your friend. Uh, but that tradition, that the tradition of blood exchange also plays into ancient Near Eastern covenants and agreements, treaties, like nations would make what could be considered a covenant uh, together uh, as well. And it was often a business transaction as well. The idea of the Christian covenant begins to develop and evolved out of the Hebrew tradition and the covenants that were made there. And a few changes become obvious. Uh, for instance, in the covenant that's made with Noah. Notice that the covenant that's made with Noah, symbolized by the rainbow, proclaims that God will not make the world flood over ever again. No if there, right? Unless we get real bad and we're all into, you know, bad things, uh, God won't flood the world. That's not the way that covenant's rolled out. We receive the promise of no universal flooding again as a unconditional covenant. That shows up again when Abraham's promised that he'll be the father of all nations. So he's a little panicky about what he's supposed to do in order to make that happen. It's an unconditional aspect of the covenant with Abraham. I think these are the rumblings or the beginnings of the concept of grace, which appears as gift. And I think it reaches fruition, really, in the covenant where Jesus says, holds up the cup and says, this is the blood of my new covenant, the blood of forgiveness, uh, which is extended to us. That's received not on a price, right? You don't receive the covenant of God's love and God's grace because you've earned it. The concept of grace, which is tied to this concept of covenant, divides the secular covenant from what I consider a holy covenant, a Christian covenant. So the secular covenant says, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. We'll make an exchange of goods or money, and our blood, whether we mix it literally or figuratively, marks our seriousness on this occasion, right? And they're always serious about covenants. The ancient Hebrew covenants often had the dividing up of animals, and they put animal halves on two sides and walk and meet in the middle with a handshake or a kiss or an embrace, and then they would cook the animals and eat them as a meal that symbolizes their covenant. I think today we're doing that out on the lawn today. Um, actually, I think it's cookies. Uh, I heard. I read somewhere there might be cookies out there. So that's way better than, of course, animals cut up and shaking hands between themselves. So we're not going to do that. 
the idea of a covenant was always deeply serious, a very serious meeting. But under the Christian covenant, a new covenant that Paul and Jesus talked about um, uh, extensively, under the new covenant, there's an asymmetry. For me to covenant with you as a Christian friend isn't to proclaim and stand on my rights, what I get to do and be as your friend. A Christian friend, a Christian friendship is asymmetrical. I care about your pain more than I care about mine. Right? The, the, the offering of Jesus' blood embodied in his cruciform life as he gave himself up for you, for me, for the other. Right? This is an asymmetrical gift. It's a gift that gives without expecting reciprocity. It's a sacrificial mode of being in the world that Jesus embodies on the cross. So for us to enter into, I mean, there's contracts all the time. We're going to enter into contracts. You, have, you, you take a class from me, I hand you a syllabus. That's our contract, right? There's certain things you have to do to get a grade. If you go to the dugout and buy a meal, you hand some food across that table and they make you a wonderful meal, and you've, you've just exchanged a kind of contract, right? These are normal, everyday contracts. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're fine. They're not necessarily Christian unless they aspire to the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, which centers us not on my rights, what I deserve, what I have given, and therefore what should come back to me, but instead on the kingdom of God, whose logic stands outside of the economy of gift and exchange that we otherwise think of these things. So um, my invitation to you is to see this as a movement forward, the new covenant that is being uh, introduced to you today. And having read it over, I think it's a step in the direction of a holy covenant, of a way of being together that is not tied to uh, my rights, what I get to proclaim and stand on and announce as my own, but a covenant that binds us together under the logic of God's kingdom. Um, and I think if we can be the kind of community that's in tune with the music of the kingdom of God, that our feet and our hands and our interactions are moving with those. We'll be attentive to the place where God's love and grace flows into this world, specifically to the poor, to the oppressed, to the stranger, to the widow, to the orphan, to the roommate who is depressed, to the injured, to the wounded, to the one who is under whatever kind of struggle. And boy, the anniversary of 9-11 and the decline of uh, health among members of our community, these are things that leave us in in dire straits. For the Christian covenant, the suffering of the other is more important than my own. And may we be a community that sees our covenanted life together to be about rushing to the places where God's love flows, um, but simply to the least of these. We will, as a community, um, first we will take a look at the actual com um, community covenant, and then we will, at the second half, take a look at what we agree to do as members of this community um, to fulfill our, our covenant. We begin by the reading of the ENC community covenant. As a volunteer member of the Eastern Nazarene College community, 
I recognize this institution's call to be faithful followers of Christ by seeking to know, love, and serve God, respect the dignity of fellow members of the community, and serve the world. I cherish life as a gift and accept the duty to nurture self-understanding, personal integrity, and authenticity in all that I do. I commit to live a life filled with grace, pursuing the ideals of reconciliation, justice, and charity. I will embrace the Christian responsibilities of a shared life together, offering service without expectation of return, remaining loyal amidst difficulty, holding myself accountable to my peers, and building upon the Christian foundation of this college and its Nazarene heritage. Amen. Mommy, please stand. <coughs> let's, read, let's read together the covenant that... Um, read together how we agree to fulfill this covenant. We will begin with the first. We will honor and, and respect, respect the, high the high value placed on personal and community holistic spiritual development, including weekly chapel attendance. Honor, honor and respect the dignity of all persons by choosing to live in harmony with my peers. Honor and respect myself by abstaining from lifestyle choices which fail to support my physical and spiritual growth and development. Treating my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit by abstaining from sexual impurity, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, and any behavior harmful to my body. Adhere to core values of honesty and integrity, both academically and personally. Respect the property of others, the world, community, and individual. Engage in being a contributing member of this community and show concern for the conditions which support the learning and developing of myself and others. And if you agree to this, why don't we say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. The chapel team is going to lead us in one more song, and then your uh, student ministry director, Director of Student Ministry, Hutsam, is just going to come and share briefly a little bit of his story. And then uh, I believe there are cookies on the front lawn and juice available for you. Now... Not only today, but any day, we, if we go over today, I think we'll end on time, maybe just a couple minutes late. Anytime we end late in chapel, whether it's two minutes or ten minutes, the shuttle will wait that amount of time. So don't feel like you're going to miss the shuttle if you have to go over to Old Colony. Uh, we will wait because cookies are very important. So the shuttle will wait for you. Let us worship you. Good morning. As we sing this last song, um, it talks about having an unconditional love towards God. In the good times and the bad times, I choose to love God. That's my desire. That's my passion. And so, if you like to, stand up. If not, remain seated. But I would do ask you to sing it with us from the bottom of your heart. Amen.
being in a college, and I thank you again for the blessing of being in a Christian college. And I pray that we realize that with that blessing and with that privilege comes the responsibility of supporting each other. And Lord, most importantly, loving each other just as you loved us, Lord. I pray that we really will let this song that we just sang be the prayer of our hearts as we go about our daily lives, Lord. And I pray that your love will shine through us, through those in our community here, and also our outside community, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray that you're with Hood as he comes to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh my gosh, I didn't know there were this many people. Oh my gosh. Um, today I don't really want to teach on anything in particular. I pray that you bear with me just for a few minutes. I know that we all have class next. I have class all throughout lunch, so I know how you feel. Um, but I just want to share my testimony just for a few minutes um, and be open with some things that not even some of my closest friends here um, even know about. And I pray that these words will speak to even one person here and that God may be glorified. Um, it's interesting that the video that we showed earlier mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And actually, one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is the first half of uh, that chapter in verse 8. And it just says, love never fails. Um, I love it because it really brings together the verses beforehand that are often used in wedding ceremonies. Um, verses 4 through 7 that says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Love is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Um, love keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. And while we're preparing this over the summer, I knew I wanted to share my testimony of how God got a hold of me. Um, and it wasn't until my roommate Shane spoke during a student-led worship in Spanish recently that I began to see what, brought, what God really wanted me to say instead of this mold that I had in my mind. Um, it is a miracle of how I am here today at this college and to be alive for that matter. Uh, my parents were both from Cambodia and grew up in a time where the word difficult is clearly an understatement. Um, the genocide that ensued during the Khmer Rouge is not something that's uh, good to bring up. Um, and the fact that my parents are still alive um, from the stories my dad and my brother told me makes me appreciative uh, of the life I have now. That wasn't my attitude, of course, in high school, being 14. I mean, here I was, a first-generation American citizen with my hand-me-down clothes, my separated parents, my low-income family, food stamps, <laughs> drama between my brother being in the gang, um, pride, everything else that I had learned to shut down um, any emotions, any uh, arguments that arise in my household. <laughs> and I tried to break away from that image of, us, of just being another poor kid from Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, which is funny because if you've seen the movie The Fighter, you know Lowell is a pretty terrible city. My attitude in high school was to get good grades, go to college, and leave that city as soon as I could. Uh, part of that attitude carried over to my decision to go to UNC, I must confess. Um, it was my sophomore year of high school where my life actually started to get the soup it needed, the support, the openness, the unity, and the presence it needed. My brother invited me to a youth group, and I was hesitant at first. I mean, 
uh, I felt like Christianity was too much of a commitment for me. Uh, but my, bro- gave, my brother gave his life to God a year earlier and bothered me to go for weeks. And so after weeks and weeks and weeks, I finally gave him. Uh, my first impression of youth group was Christians are flat out weird. Christians are weird. Let's just be real with that. Come on. All right. You've met some weird ones here at ENC. Um, they play some weird youth group games. They love to hug way too much. They don't swear. They greet new people, and they're just happy people. And, like, and I was realizing this yesterday. I'm like, I've become one of these people. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. Weird. It's just weird. They don't swear. I don't get it. I grew up in a neighborhood where swearing was just normal. But um, after, after that youth group, after that first youth group, um, my other impression was something that I didn't have growing up. Uh, and there were two things, and it was loving and accepting. I felt like I really belonged at that youth group, and I could just be me after that. First week, I started going every Friday night. Week after week, I felt something just tugging at my heart. I saw more and more the genuine passion and sincere love for God that I didn't see in many people. It was different from the temple gatherings I used to see as a kid. I remember the experience for me when I was nine years old. Adults would come in their uh, traditional and cultural attire. They would give the monks food in these sort of steel circular containers, much like the ones we have for communion, just a little smaller. And they would give these monks food. Um, and I would just kneel and uh, sort of sit beside my mother as she's praying. Um, and I just remember how boring it was. And at being nine years old, I just didn't get the whole thing of, of praying amongst or worshiping an idol with six hands. I just didn't get it at all. So I would just leave and play with some of my cousins and the other kids who were just as bored as I was. The youth group was different. It was fun. It was engaging. It was genuine. Um, things started really change for me in November when our youth group uh, planned a trip to the Generation Conference in Utica, New York. I wanted to go, but um, I didn't sign up because I was so ashamed of how poor my family was. I regret it now to have ever taken my parents' income for granted and how God always provided for everything. I mean, probably, probably some of you can probably even relate. I mean, my mom had to support four kids on her own. It's not like she made a lot of money with her lack of English either. Um, but somehow we managed to pay everything every month. I mean, living conditions weren't the best, but they weren't terrible. But I remember that even though I couldn't go, I would do all the fundraisers uh, for the trip anyway because I really just wanted to be with the people who became a second family to me. I didn't care about not going. I just wanted to be included. One night, uh, one of my youth leaders came up to me and asked, Hey, Hood, are you going to go to the conference? I said, no, I don't really have any money, and um, isn't it too late to sign up? She said, yes, it is, but there's a slim chance that you can go for free. There seems to be some conflicts with uh, another person's schedule and their commitments, and it's fully paid for, and so they probably can't go, so do you want to go in their place? And I was just excited, and I said, yeah, sure, it sounds good to me. The night before uh, we left for the conference, I started packing, and I just prayed to God, God, if you want me to go, just make a way. And of course, I didn't really get what's going on. That's all I knew how to pray. A half hour later, my youth group uh, leader called me and said, hey, so you're free to go tomorrow. Uh, you're cleared. You don't have to pay. 
uh, did you start packing yet? And I said, yes. He said, awesome. Um, well, I'll see you at the church tomorrow. <sighs> that weekend, little did I know would change my life. I had a blast uh, just hanging out with the other kids from youth group. And as a 14-year-old teenager, of course, I was more excited to see the really cute girls at the conference. During one of the night services, though, um, I just won't ever forget it. It was a Saturday night in November of 2005, and Pastor Jude Bukwe was speaking, and at the end of his service, he gave an altar call, and I came up much like um, the kingdom experience that we had last night. I remember just being so overwhelmed by God's spirit and to the point that I was weeping and shaking uncontrollably. About 20 minutes later, Pastor Jude was bringing up teens to share their testimonies. And there was hundreds and hundreds of teens and youth pastors and chaperones. And I remember how, how cool it would be to go up there and to share how, how God's just touching me and how I'm experiencing God. And I even prayed, God, I kind of want to be up there. That would be kind of cool just to share how you're, you're just, like, you know, just touching me right now. Minutes later, he actually looked at me in front of a crowd of hundreds of teenagers and pointed me out and said, come over here. So I came up on stage and shared how God has touched me and I've never felt this way before. How I'm from Lowell, Massachusetts, and I came with my youth group. And after he prayed for me, he put his hand on me, on my forehead, and I remember just falling back and just laying on the ground. Now, this sounds skeptical and... I know, and I just want you to believe me, that being raised in a Buddhist home, I didn't get it either. In my state of dreaming, I guess, I remember these words vividly. I remember God just saying, Hut, you will never, you will never be the same again. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be extremely hard, but I have you now. Hut, you will never be the same again. Your life starts now. And I remember waking up with the crowd singing, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endureth forever. Here I am, six years later, testifying to God's incredible grace. Um, I'm a senior, graduating with, uh, hopefully, a business degree in marketing, with a lot of debt. I have had incredible opportunities in the last six years to minister in missions trips locally and overseas. I have preached in various churches. I have led in different youth ministries. Um, even though my experience with God changed me, it didn't really change my circumstances, as it usually probably doesn't. I still have a rough relationship with my father. My mother and I don't really talk too long because of a language barrier, um, but we try to work out the best we can. My family is still broken, uh, still divided over pride uh, as, it runs deep, as it runs deep in our veins. But even though my circumstances didn't change, God's love changed me. And I have the weight of his name on my shoulders, and I joyfully and willingly carry it. What I've learned in these last six years of following God since that day is this. Christ is what Christ offers, and that's love. God is love. 
and love never fails. I am no longer ashamed of where I came from. I'm now proud of it. I'm no longer struggling with my identity because I have found who I am in Christ. And I'm no longer battling with anger against my father for his emotional neglect because I have only father and my new church family supports me. There's a song called One Thing Remains by Jesus Culture that really speaks to me. And one line particularly powerful. It says, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. I don't get it. It never runs out. It never fails. It never What I want to end with today is this. Despite your circumstances, despite the challenges of head, despite the people who will let you down, despite your shortcomings, despite the problems of this world, God's love never fails. It never gives up and never runs out on you. No matter what you've done, no matter how tangled your past may seem, and no matter how much you have hurt God and will hurt God, His love never lets you go. It never fails. And that is the hope I have in Jesus. And that is the hope I pray for you in this community. It is a love that hits you in a way that you can't help but be humbled and be in awe. It is incredible, and I pray that you can embrace His love this morning and understand just how amazing it really is where the love of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mother or your father or your family or your friends may fail, God's love never fails and it never gives up and it never runs out. He's here to stay and he loves you. And some of you desperately need to hear that. And I know that I desperately needed to six years ago. And it's something that I pray for the same for my family and for you. I love this community so much. And it breaks my heart when God has your attention and he has you. And we just let it go. And we don't take a hold of the God that loves us so much. That he sent his son to die for us. That he literally died of a broken heart for us. And that he is what he offers. That's love. Today, as I end with my testimony of how God has loved me and how all of you have loved me in your own way and how God brought incredible people in my life to learn his ways and be a better man of God now not just some poor kid I just want to say that simply God loves you um, and that he is what he offers unconditional, unfailing, never-ending love. So today, as I give the benediction, um, if you want to put up your hands as a symbol to receive what God has, and that I pray for you, God's unchanging, unfailing love, 
that no matter where you go, that no matter what you do, no matter how much you've hurt God, that you are able to accept his love and forgiveness and mercy and grace that is beyond words and beyond your emotions. Go today in peace and the love of God. Amen. Um, I was a business major too, but, but that doesn't mean I wasn't called to preach. So uh, you, that's one of the best messages I've ever heard in this chapel. Thank you for sharing. Remember his message, please. You are dismissed. Go in peace. <laughs>